Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. On today's episode, Danny talks with Joy Chevalier, founder and CEO of The Cook's Nook, a shared commercial kitchen and culinary incubator about how COVID-19 is affecting local food startups. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and also share this episode on your social media channels. Enjoy the show. I am so excited today to talk to Joy uh, Chevalier, the founder and CEO of The Cook's Nook in Austin, Texas. Joy combines her expertise in technology uh, by using uh, the Cook's Nook to uh, create a space for cooks at the beginning uh, stages of their businesses. She is also a member of the Refresh Working Group, which I'm honored to be a part of, a member of the Austin Food Policy Council. She has many, many years of experience uh, working with uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, and internet startups. So she's really working to combine her love of food and, and the people who produce it uh, with her technology skills. I was supposed to be in Austin with Joy yes. this week, and I'm so sorry I couldn't be. Joy, I know. it's so great to have you on the show and to see your face. Thank you, you guys too, missed you guys here, but I know we'll, we'll get together eventually, hopefully later this year. Absolutely, absolutely, can't wait. Before um, we start, I just wanna make sure you and your family and loved ones and friends are doing okay in this really mm -hmm. Uh, critical uh, moment of crisis for all of us. It is. I mean, I, you, you mentioned I have had a, you know, been a little sick under the weather, but I'm finally on the other side of that. We're all good here. Thank you. And, and it's just, it's just, like I said, I keep saying I, it's just crazy times, just, you know, individually for families, for communities and for our sector, you know. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that. And, and I, I want to start off, you know, the cook snook is really focused on on startups and helping these beginning entrepreneurs um, take on, you know, new business challenges. But I, I want to hear from you how COVID-19 is really impacting the folks that you work with. How, sure. how is it affecting these, these fledgling businesses who are just getting going? Well, I think <clears throat> it's, um, it's actually very tough for them right now. Um, as you mentioned, we're a culinary incubator. And so we work on developing uh, food companies. Some are in CPG, some are meal kit companies, some are caterers. Uh, we have uh, brands who are doing research and development. So we've got a wide range of folks who are sort of uh, in these uh, stages in, in food and tech. And, you know, it hit them pretty hard. I mean, uh, you know, I think Folks by end of February understood something was happening, especially by the time folks sort of realized that Expo West um, was going to be uh, compromised. Can we just explain to folks who don't know, uh, it's the Natural Food Products Expo. I was supposed to be there. I'm sure Joy and lots of her colleagues were. Um, it happens every year on both the West Coast and the East Coast. So it's, right. it's a big deal. Thousands of, of, of vendors from all over the world, including China and and you know South America, Italy, of course, they, they all had to cancel their plans and, and it left a lot of startups in, in financial crisis. Well, that's where many of your CPG startups will do their first launches of the year. And I also happen to sit on the board of Naturally Austin, which is our, our industry CPG uh, organization here as well. And 
that was when we sort of realized that for our CPG, okay, that uh, there's 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 a real problem here, and what and what does that mean for them for these brands? And then immediately, these launches didn't happen. So what happens with these companies? Well, right. but we also knew that a week and a half later, South by was to happen, right. and so a lot of them immediately made adjustments because it's our home home event, right? It's the next big um, conference. <clears throat> excuse me, and food event, food activities would be there. And, you know, as, you know, uh, the days for Expo uh, Expo West came and we started to look here, you know, of course, we understood that that may not happen here either. Um, and so CPG had to take a tack. But I think it's when we sort of looked and realized, wow, if South by doesn't happen, what does that mean for our caterers? Right. And we're not talking just your smaller caterers. We're talking even the biggest ones who are doing the brand events. When Facebook right. cancel, when uh, Time Warner cancels their events. Google. Like, Ouch, yeah. Google, um, Lego. I mean, it was crazy. And these, some of these folks are huge. Now, the good caterers had planned for a whole year, but this is pretty significant. I had one person, one company tell me they, they had, and, and of course, if you're doing early events at South By, that means you've bought product. So right. as a small business, you've already had an outlay, right? Um, and for those events to get canceled, not only do they lose the, the, the gigs, but they also have an expense on their books. Yeah. And they've got a staff on their books, that, not just their regular staff, but the extended staff that they had planned for South By. Absolutely. All those hourly and, workers who now have exactly. nowhere to make money. Exactly. And that's when we all realized, oh my goodness, okay, this is not, it's not going to be limited to a particular sliver, but it's going to be across the board in food because it's going to reverberate back to our suppliers, back mm -hmm. to the providers. It's going to hit the restaurants. That'll go back to the providers <laughs> because they're not ordering either. Um, and then, of course, our workforce. Um, and I think it was by then we realized, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to mm -hmm. do? With this one? I had one caterer tell me, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how they lost 20, I mean, they lost basically 25 uh, gigs this month. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then they'll expect to lose everything in April, right. Uh, and probably right until May. And that's not just your venues and events, but that's also just your basic weddings, right? Once you actually can't have any gathering, right? You're not having weddings. You're not having the routine activities. There are as, no corporate as, events. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. There's no corporates, uh, no ad hocs, no no nothing, right? Um, and and then the restaurants followed, and that's pretty much pretty much where we are here the, these days. We are under um, statewide. I believe we are under no gatherings of larger than ten right now. Right. Uh, we haven't quite reached where California is, or you know where it's total in place. Uh, where you can't have any functions, don't leave your house. Um, mm -hmm. I anticipate that. But right now we're still at uh, less than 10. Um, and for food, um, our food bank is open. We have a very huge uh, food bank that services our, our region. We have one of the big ones in the U.S., the Central Texas Food Bank. Right. serves so all of our counties around us and hundreds of pantries. Um, they've gotten dispensation to stay open. Um, and I believe our farmers markets can be open. They got a dispensation for this weekend uh, as well. And we're doing, um, uh, under our emergency structures here in Travis County, Austin's in Travis County, mm -hmm. uh, we can do uh, drive-throughs 
So you talk about, you you talk about aggregated drop-offs, say you're trying to do prepared foods, maybe for a group or organization or population. That's a, that, that's a, that's a problem and challenge. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, hindsight is 2020 and you know, you're part of the Austin food policy council. There's a lot of leadership there. What, what could we have done to plan better for something like this? You know, and, and I'm sure you're learning every day some of the things uh-huh. that have been nice to have in place, either at the, the state level or at the federal level. What recommendations do you have, you know, for, for planning for something like this in the future? Well, that's another great question because we are learning as well. I mean, I think what we did well and what we have well here in Travis County is that we do have a very stable, robust, um, very well visible, funded um, network of our food bank and our food pantries and practices and policies that allow even the smallest pantries to work um, without a lot of overhead and their permitting or things of that nature. Um, So that's a real, a real positive. So uh, they're uh, doing a lot of, um, and then it's very well funded. So a lot of organizations understand how to support the food bank. Same Mm -hmm. with Meals on Wheels. Um, But both of those hit very specific clients and populations mm-hmm. that the city or those nonprofit and organizations understand. I think the real gap that we're finding is that we did not plan to leverage our other businesses, our for-profit businesses, right. or leverage a plan with our farms, or leverage a plan with our broadliners like uh, Cisco or like Benny Keith or others who have so much food now and capacity that they are not going to know what to do with it. They're going to start getting rid of it. Sure. And to, to generate a new mechanism that hits other populations, populations that would have normally have never needed the food bank Absolutely. or meals and wheels. And now suddenly we have to pay attention to, these are people who are very shut in, non-ambulatory, who are now uh, isolated, you know, or quarantined, or have never had to have food access in this way. Right, because right. they're always because they're always out, right? Um, and so we didn't have a, a unique mechanism that could be turned on, called a phase two mechanism, that extended populations of support. And that's what we're trying to figure out now, because as we watch this food that already is going to be generated every day by yeah. these mechanisms now sit, right. right. <laughs> And ironically, end up being wasted. And, and end up being wasted because we did not have another mechanism that could take prepared products and do some and do something with them very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I want you brought up an interesting point that people who weren't previously part of you know food access programs are right. now are going to be coming in greater numbers, and that's going to be a real challenge for Austin and really all cities and towns and Absolutely. in the world. Absolutely. I mean, we had clients, but we didn't tell people, you can't be out at all to fend for self. Right. And now we've got to find a way to get to them that we didn't have. And I don't think, I just don't think that ever occurred to any of us that, sure. that, that there was just going to be such a huge new population of people who were always one step, let's say, from being food insecure. Right. Right. One paycheck away, miss shift away from all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And and some of them are in our own industry, right? They are the folks, the 20,000, 30,000 people who worked at food companies. Right. Now don't have access to food. 
They have no so pain. ironic and so tragic. Uh huh. And so one of the things that you see, at least from the restaurants, who had to close their dining rooms early, was in fact to feed their own. At least the things that they currently have purchased, they are feeding folks in their own industry. But that's only going to last for days. And I think that people don't realize that food has a shelf life. Food has a half life. <laughs> and this stuff eventually perishes. And it's perishing now even as we talk about it. Absolutely. I think, you know, all of us have really taken for granted in the United States, you know, how, you know, cheap for most folks uh, food is, how accessible it is, how we can get it, you know, when we can order or go out and get it, you know, literally 24 hours a day. Sure. This is a wake up call for all of us that, you know, food is a precious commodity. It's something that we should value more than we have. We should value the food and the people who make the food happen in front of you or even the ones you don't see. You don't realize how many people it takes to bring food to you in all of our different spaces, you know, from our home in to our home, yeah. in, di in different places. Yeah. And I mean, all of those hands that touch our food every day, we're not taking care of those hands. Those are people who don't have access to health care. They, they don't have, you know, Steady jobs. No sick leave, right? Absolutely. That was a huge thing, especially in this state when uh, Austin um, did pass a sick leave ordinance uh, this year uh, and affected our small businesses. There was a lot of going back and forth between the state and, and, and our county, our city about it. Um, and, you know, this is an industry where 85% will not have any sort of sick leave, paid time off, or let alone some variant of healthcare, right? Um, yeah. And so they're 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 doubly hit, and some subsection is still expected to work because some food still has to get somewhere. Absolutely, Absolutely. you know, and it's it's it is irony every step of the way, as you, as you said, <laughs> it really is. And we're all just like sort of learning and and experimenting and failing and experimenting and failing. And so, I mean, I. I I have a lot of confidence because of people like you that we, we will get through this eventually. It's just, it's a, it's a very uncertain time. And I know you have this great interest and great background in, in technology and how to use that as a vehicle for getting food to people you yeah. know, who get the most. Can you talk a little bit about your sort of the role of tech uh, during this time? Yeah, there's a, a couple of things that, that I'm seeing in particular is that, you know, there's certainly a real opportunity for what we call marketplace food right now. Um, and that, you know, folks are able to go directly to their customers or to new customers, right? right. We're seeing folks like Impossible, uh, sorry, Imperfect Foods, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, no. suddenly have this increase in subscriptions, right? Right, right. Or, or regional CSAs, right? I mean, ridiculous sudden growth and use of their e-commerce mechanisms and delivery mechanisms, logistics mechanisms to get fresh, fresh food to those who can afford to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and no knock there. Um, it just, it's just, just, if you can afford to do that, you can do that. And that mechanism. Well, you should be doing that to support farmers. If you have the resources to do, to do that, that. You can sign up for a CSA, a, you know, a, sub a subscription box service that, that, you know, brings you healthy food every week. You should, yeah. you should be supporting farmers who are losing. Absolutely. Absolutely directly. But what was also interesting was to watch your smaller broadliners do the same thing, right? Wow. You know, your local regional broadliners who ferry food suddenly offer a CSA out of, 
you know, their, their cold storage facility for pickup. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then sort of making that known and being able to purchase directly from, from that broadliner. Um, you're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs who have apps uh, who are bringing uh, uh, fresh farm product uh, to market through their apps directly. Um, so you make that connection peer to peer, one to one, say like Vendor does. Mm -hmm. Familiar with that? So, a lot of folks with product, individuals, uh, and even uh, prepared products, right. uh, cookies, biscuits, or other products, are suddenly using these apps to make their products available. Again, the distribution mechanism becomes an issue, and the reason issue. Um, you know, and so, you know, there's certainly opportunity, opportunity there. My worry, and you can always tell, is that that is an opportunity that benefits only some. Absolutely. And how do we make sure that what's happening now and the capacity that places like we have, think about your corporate kitchens that are sitting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or your university kitchens that are sitting. Right? Yeah, empty. If they're sitting empty, how do we repurpose those with a plan already in hand to say, this is how we bring that kitchen back up. This is how we bring this back up and turn out and turn out uh, food and product and keep our ecosystem and keep our supply chain and people working Absolutely. in that supply chain right. going, right? Basically, put people back to work. Yeah. Um, and how do we do that? That's the mechanism I think that all of us are going to realize it was the next mechanism that needed to be there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, as people who sort of work in this space and talk a lot about technology, you know, disruption and, and disrupting the food system is, is something we talk about a lot. But this is truly disrupting the food system. Absolutely. My hope, I hope, my hope is that it asks people to be innovative. Yeah. And that we don't think of emergency food as just a, as, as a job of your municipality and your nonprofit. Mm -hmm but you're asking those with the capacity and the innovation to bring it to the table, to bring something to market very quickly. So who are those folks? Are we talking about corporations? Are we talking about the federal government? Who, who, who needs oh. to step up to the plate? No, that's a great question. I think that's on us and our food policy boards across the United States to bring that up and to bring those resolutions to our various councils, groups, and organizations. But to your point, who has that conversation with a broadliner? Yeah. What are you going to do with your food if, if it's part of your own DR plans, your own disaster recovery plans? You think about disaster recovery for the broadliner business itself, but about the food in the broadliner business. What are you going to do with it um, and have a plan for that food um, as much as you do for the company? Um, and I, I think to get those folks to the table, I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be probably your municipalities and your county governments. Uh, having a plan that they can get those guys to sign off on or be a part of, that they might have to own it. It's not like Joy at the Cook's Nook can own that. Sure. I think it's going, to be a, it's going to be a regional conversation to say, we have a second phase if something happens, and mm -hmm. it involves this relationship between private and public that has uh, to come up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, while we don't have great federal leadership on a lot of these things, and that's something I've been talking to people about all, all week, we sure. do have, you know, regional and, and local leaders who are taking these issues on, but they need guidance. And, and 
I don't know where that guidance is coming from. I know because of what's been happening in, in New York, you know, there are some strategies that, you know, Hunter College and, and some mm. others are putting into place that can be serving as examples for other towns and cities. But mm -hmm. that information needs to be shared. And I think that's a, a critical role for, you know, all of us as, as advocates, but also, you know, for for using technology in creative ways so that we're sharing resources that people aren't recreating the wheel every time something like this, you know, every time they're dealing with something new that comes up from COVID-19. No, exactly. And you mentioned Hunter College. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the folks that we reached out to in our, <clears throat> excuse me, chair of our food policy board is to other food policy boards. What did you, what did you guys already have maybe that you guys were working on? But additionally, you know, we reached out to, you know, uh, Jose Andres' organization to say, you know, um, we've got capacity. Do you have programming or can you show us, because you've already been doing it, how to spin that up and how to get others to the table? Because right. they, not only did they have the space and capacity, but they had to have had the relationships, too, for, that, yeah. for them right. as well. And most, of us, and most of us don't. No, I mean, World Central Kitchen and Jose just as a force of nature and, and being a celebrity in this space. I mean, they have a lot of, uh, I, I think, resources to share, and I, I think they'd be happy to do so, just as so many other nonprofits yeah. and organizations are stepping up to the plate to share resources. Yeah, and then the, the, the flip side is, okay, even if we do manage to get something spun up that, that, that meets our middle our, our middle bell curve population that is, is now new, new service needs to be brought to them. How do we know who they are? Because they weren't in a system. Right, they're, right. They're new, they're new people, right, who were one step away or a week away or an event away from being food insecure. Right. That we didn't realize. So they're not in a system because they normally are not. Um, do we know them? Can we reach them? Um, and how do we do that? And I come back to our organizations that are on the ground that are not the big ones. Right. The ones that are in communities, like for us in Austin, like Keep Austin Fed, which works a lot with our <coughs> underserved, our, uh, our homeless population, and, um, <clears throat> and, and those who food is being repurposed for. They see those folks all the time. Um, and so they know. So there's no point in making food or saying that we can deliver you know, I've posited that we could do three to five hundred meals a day in our capacity with the right, the right, uh, the right, uh, you know, with the right supply chain behind us coming in. But I've got to get those. We got to get those five hundred meals someplace every day, right. very quickly. And those guys know that. So that back end is as important as the front end. Yeah, I like for me. You know, I'm a, a researcher and an advocate, and you know. I, logistics is not my strong part the logistics nightmare that this must be is so incredible to me as somebody who thinks you know I think about supply chains I think about the food value chain but I can't even imagine where people are beginning and it's just it's it seems really overwhelming I you know we were just on a call just before you know we started talking and, you know, I come back to my brain as a product manager. I'm going to solve not the global problem. I'm going to solve the particular use case of how do I deliver 500 meals a day to this particular organization who sees this population? How do I, let me solve that case. 
let me solve another case and then I'll start to put that system together, right? Because I'm solving case after case after after instance until I have a system that makes that makes some sense, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this is this is where technology really helps. It's not about the app; it's about the way of thinking innovatively about putting different systems together in order yeah. to achieve the new thing Absolutely. and achieve the new thing rapidly. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great, I mean, I think we talk about a lot about technology and how it, you know, can be this silver bullet and that's not the case. It's, it's mm-hmm. the people behind the technology, it's the people mm-hmm. like Joy, you. Oh, it's really about that. I think it's a way of thinking about how, about technology process. Yeah. And how do we bring a new product to market? In this case, it's a new mechanism for food distribution that is ad hoc. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and on the fly. Exactly. It's on the fly and it has funding structures. It's not limited by its funding structures. Right. And yeah. so you've got to be able to accommodate different sources, different inputs, different methods of funding. But at the end of the day, you're trying to reach certain audiences with your product. Absolutely. And it's, and it's the same principle. So like for me, you know, things always can come back to product development, product management for me. I'm probably terrible. I could probably boil the universe down into product management principles. <laughs> No, that's really interesting. I mean, I think it, it, it reminds us that like any problem, this has to be solved, you know, you know, piece by piece until mm-hmm. we get there. And, and I think that that brings great comfort to me. I think that it'll be, bring great comfort to, you know, our listeners and viewers today that this, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. I think that's, you know, I've talked to so many people this week, real, real thinkers and doers like you uh, who are looking at the food system holistically and they're like, we can, we can work on this. We can. I agree. This, I think know? these, I, you know, the people, world. Yeah, we put people on the moon. We we find vaccines rapidly. We cure cancer. You know, and and we can do these things too. This is about will, commitment, and developing the picture and a process that makes sense to serve those you need to serve. Yeah. But we have to prioritize it. And I think this has brought that into clear focus about what we may or may not have prioritized in different different regions. Sure, we're going to learn a lot of lessons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Joy, can you tell our, our viewers where to find more information about the Cook's Nook? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, the Cook's Nook, we're online. We're at www.cooksnook.net, of course. Um, but most people follow us on um, Facebook and Instagram, our, us and our members and what they're doing, uh, new projects we're doing, even stuff that we're doing. We have actually have a corporate side and we're working with corporate brands on how to bring innovation into the market, into their companies, this, this, this entrepreneurship mm-hmm. into their businesses. And so you have uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and yeah, you know, we're out there with friends like you without, you know, advocates trying to make sure people understand that this is the bedrock of any community is how we eat and how we engage. Um, and how we feed ourselves and others. Um, if, if we don't have plans in place around that, the rest in many ways is neither here nor there if we can't do this. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that's a really interesting point to end on. Joy, you've been a pleasure to talk to you. I've learned so much. I wish you and all of Austin, which is a city I love, very oh. close to my heart, the best. Please stay safe and well, and I'll check in with you soon. And I hope uh, to see you at South By whenever it's rescheduled. You guys, too, you guys know how much we're crazy about you guys at the Food Tank and everything about our, our, our wonderful city heart of, of New Orleans and our folks in Louisiana. So just really glad to talk to you, too. And make sure you stay in touch. 
You too. Thanks so much, Joy. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nuremberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.